Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. Uh, we're discussing Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. Uh, we're at the 105th Anucheda. It's a pretty extensive Anucheda. In the very first subsection, which we've completed, Jiva Goswami begins by uh, pointing out that, uh, concluding his last subject, that uh, there's really no partiality on the part of the Supreme when he advents within the material manifestation. And he goes on from there to, uh, to point out that there are different ways that we can look at a text and we can determine what our what the subject of the text is and those are the introductory and concluding statements repetition originality result glorification and logical confirmation and in this first subsection he showed that the beginning and ending comments of the Bhagavat Purana the Srimad Bhagavatam were in exact conformity they were both about the same subject so, having dealt with that, he now is going forward and pointing out the similarities between the beginning verse of the Srimad Bhagavatam and the beginning sutras of the uh, Vedanta Sutra or the Brahma Sutra. And we began that discussion in our last class, and we will continue with that discussion now. Is that part two? Is that the second? So, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. so, as we discussed, he drew similarities between the term uh, Dimahi in the Bhagavatam verse and the term Jignasa from the Brahma Sutra. We would just continue reading where we left off in that second subsection of the 105th Anucheda. Now remember, he's talking about the correlation now between the terminologies Dimahi, to meditate, and Jignasa, inquire. If you think about them, they're, they're similar to inquire, but inquiring into transcendental subject matters mean that we need to go beyond just what is conventional inquiry. So it's a logical assumption that there has to be some some deep contemplation of a subject matter. And the deeper we get into contemplating, then we then we get into this this use of the word uh, dimahi. So Jiva continues. The use of the verb meditate also means I'm sorry, also leads to the understanding that Bhagavan has a form because, and then Jiva Goswami gives three reasons why to meditate means you need to have something concrete to meditate upon. So he's he's saying that just by the utilization by Srila Vyasadeva in his opening verse of the of the Bhagavatam of the term Dimahi 
there's certain implications that are implied there. So he brings those out in, his, in this Anuched. He says, meditation can be performed most easily only on an object with form. Two, meditation on the formless is naturally inferior because when an easy method is to attain the goal of human life is readily available, one would not be inclined to seek out a difficult path. And he gives a third reason. Because the worshiper of the absolute with form has been determined to be the most advanced in yoga, yuktattava. Then he goes forward to support that statement. The third statement. The worshiper of the absolute should worship the absolute with form. The first two are pretty simple. To think about something that has a form is easier than thinking about nothing. I mean, because anything without a form, even if you want to meditate on a flower, what are you going to meditate on? If it's formless, a formless flower. So if you're going to meditate on the supreme absolute truth without any form, then what's left for you to meditate on about the supreme absolute truth? Form and no form and qual take away the take the absolute truth and take away all form and qualities. So what can you think about? There's not a lot left. So that's the first two points right there. To meditate on a form is easier if you have the opportunity to meditate on a form for the supreme. Then that's easier than than meditating on a formless supreme. So if the easier of the two is to conceive and meditate upon the Lord as having a form and qualities and pastimes and a name, if you have all that available to you, why would you want to meditate on a formless conception of the absolute? The other is so much easier. So now to support the third, third point that he made, that because the worshiper of the absolute with form has been determined to be the most advanced. Who determined it? The absolute. <laughs> so then Jiva quotes from the Bhagavad Gita. So he quotes three verses from the Bhagavad Gita's 12th chapter. And the beginning of the 12th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna asks one simple question. Which should I meditate on? The formless or a conception of the Supreme having a form. Please tell me which of these two is best. Arjuna and Krishna does. He says, Those who worship me with transcendental faith, absorbing their minds in me, and ever united with me, I regard as the highest realizers of yoga. That's the second verse of the 12th chapter. So that's what I think. And then, regarding the other... Those who worship the imperishable, ineffable, and unmanifest, and who are engaged in the welfare of all beings, also attain me alone. Well, they're also doing good. They also attain me. But then he goes on to clarify. In the next verse, he says, For those whose minds are attached to the unmanifest, there is greater tribulation, because the goal of the unmanifest is attained by embodied beings only with great difficulty. So that's Jiva's 
provided some some evidence to support that if we're going to de-mahi on anything, if that's what we're going to do, let's de-mahi, let's meditate on something that has form. Especially if you're looking to the supreme absolute truth. Actually, anything you're going to meditate on, it's easier to meditate on it with a form. Then he gives some additional evidence to support his position. From the Bhagavatam, quoting Brahma from the 10th canto, 14th chapter. O Almighty Lord, those who undergo pains to attain realization of the self alone, giving up the most beneficial path of bhakti, gain only labor and nothing else. Like those engaged in threshing, coarse husk devoid of grain. So Brahma takes it to a higher degree then. Krishna was kind of like, it's okay, they ultimately attain me. And Brahma's saying, no, I don't. Krishna may say they, he's very generous, but the fact of the matter is, if, you, if that's your approach, you might as well just be trying to get, you know, get some grain out of, mm. out of just the husk. Somebody's already taken the grain, the, the real essence, that's been taken, and then you're back there just beating, oh, come on, I have. there has to be something here. So it's the same. Brahma's saying to meditate on that formless conception, uh, giving up the path of bhakti. That's the key to Brahma's statement, though. In other words, you've taken this path of bhakti, and then you put it aside and continue. Now, this is also discussed by Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur in his commentary at the beginning of the Bhagavatam. I can't remember the... Not in the beginning, actually. Uh, the point that he makes is it's very difficult for those yogis. It's basically regrettable that they attain through the practice of bhakti. They use bhakti as as like a tool, an assistant to their meditation. But their conception and their goal in self-realization is to enter into the Brahman. So they use bhakti to help because it says without a little bhakti, you won't be successful. So they follow that scriptural injunction. And here again, we're talking about, and Vishwanath talking about their Brahmavadis as opposed to Mayavadis. So there are people that do have a conception of the Absolute, which is acceptable as far as Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavaniti, Sabjate. What's not acceptable is to think that the form of the Lord is material. They accept the form of the Lord is spiritual. So they can be successful. But Vishwadasa says, they come to the stage, they attach their mind, they experience some semblance of the sweetness of the Lord, and then they detach their hook-like minds, which are like their iron-clad hearts, from that form of the Lord. Well, it's regrettable for them. But that's what they have to do. They want, they have, they have fixed this concept of the Lord, that's their goal, to enter into Brahman. 
Well, to do that, they're going to have to give up that personal form of the Lord with all the sweetness. I mean, he even says, you know, they have they have a boss, Baba a boss. They they taste the sweetness. Their hair stand on end, and then they just detach their mind from the form of the Lord. And the Lord's given them a great opportunity, and what do they 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 toss it aside because that's not their objective. And it's like even in, in meditating on the form of the Lord, that little bit of bhakti that allows them that ultimate attainment of sayuja merging with the Supreme, they've really been given a, a pretty good dose of opportunity. The window of opportunity's been opened and they themselves close it. So Brahma's talking about that here also. Those yogis who give up bhakti to attain their goal of Brahma Sayuja. You had it in your grasp. The grains were there. And then you, instead of taking the grains, you pick up the husk and start beating them again. You go on with your yoga practice you you have an opportunity there for the grains, the fruit, the sweetness of your spiritual endeavor. You'd rather try for something else. It's the same, according to Brahma, as, as being the, the husk. So Jiva's made his points regarding meditation, Dimahi, and he continues, It is therefore concluded that the entity to be meditated upon is none other than the original complete person, Swayam Bhagavan, while others such as Shiva are excluded. Additionally, the operative mood of the verb Dimahi, let us meditate, signifies a prayer without any separate aim exclusively for the service of Bhagavan as the supreme goal of human life. Service herein indicated by the act of meditation. So Jiva's going on and he's saying, and this this needs to be single-minded with one intent, and that intent is only of serving the Supreme. Just as Rupa says in the beginning of the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Haitakiya Pratiyata, unmotivated, uninterrupted meditation on the Supreme is the way to attain, quickly attain the goal. We're in the not quickly stage of uh, sadhaka, sadhana bhakti, so our meditations are rather, it's like watching an old time movie for us. You can even see the frames. Oh, deity worship. Oh, kirtan. Oh, reading. But then you have all these blank things where there's no Krishna. So it's like watching a, the, the old real movies, you know, you see all these breakings. It's not like, you know, a cinematic adventure for us. It's like break, break, break. We want to get to that continual meditation. That's the essence of the practice of bhakti. If you can come to that platform of service, then, well, material life ceases for you. You may still be here, but you're not of here anymore. You may be 
engaged in so many services, but your service is all on the transcendental plane. So we see the sadhu, the guru, he's on this, this plane of complete involvement in the Supreme. So that's what Jiva pulls out. Again, from the word Dimahi, he's drawing so many. If we're going to say Dimahi, if we're going to say meditate, let's talk about how to meditate. So he's teaching us as students, this is the way you meditate. You meditate on a, on a, on a conception of the form, that a conception of the absolute that has form. And if you meditate, it's full on. Don't, don't, no, no piecemeal meditation will fully satisfy you. But whatever you can do is good, but really, when you use this term meditate, that's complete absorption. And we're not talking about running off to the mountains of the Himalayas and jumping into a cave and, you know, eating nothing. No, we're talking about practical meditation. We are. We're, we're coming through the gracious dispensation of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. The mountains and the caves and the, you know, living on air may be a little beyond our grasp. You know, so we'll, we'll take advantage of this Harinam Sankirtan. It's, it's easy, easy for us. We make it difficult. It's easy. Therefore, therefore, the fact that Bhagavan is of that nature to be the entity upon whom meditation is advised is self-evident. It thus indicates that Bhagavan is specifically endowed with a supremely enchanting form. And then he comes into a very... He's going on here. He's saying, and this meditation, well, this is special meditation. Here's why this is special meditation. So Jiva continues here. It thus indicates that Bhagavan is specifically endowed with a supremely enchanting form. For it is said in the Brihat Sama, those glories have been extolled by Bhagavan himself. And then he quotes, He is greatly effulgent, immense as the earth, vast as the sky, abundantly illuminating like the day. His abode is great, his beauty exceeds that of the magnificent and among the beautiful he is more beautiful still the glories of brihat sama have been extolled and then where 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 are we getting this well actually krishna says this in the bhagavad gita and so he says from the gita the glories of brihat sama have been extolled by bhagavan himself then he quotes from the 10th chapter of the gita among the Vedas, I am the Samaveda. And, again from the 10th chapter, in the Samaveda, I am the mantra called Brihat Sama. So, that's, a, that's in the 35th verse of the 10th chapter. In this way, the Brahma Jignasa of Brahma Sutra 111 has been explained. So, the... Meditation on Brahman is the import of Vedanta, the essence of the Vedas. And we say that the Srimad Bhagavatam is the essence of, of the Vedas, of, or the essence of Vedanta, uh, the Upanishads. 
And then another, one other thing implied in Dimahi is that this is open to a multitude of meditators. So it's not, it's a universal process. So actually, in Sanskrit, this word Dimahi is in the plural for that very reason in the verse, first verse of the Bhagavad Purana. So it's in the plural, meaning that it's for all times, all places, and all individuals. To summarize, all the implications of Brahma Jignasa derive from the first verse of the Bhagavatam. So these are all the, the conclusions that that need to be seen in the first verse of the Bhagavatam in relationship to this term, Brahma Jignasa. Now let us meditate on the Supreme Absolute Truth. One, the ultimate meaning of the word Brahman is Bhagavan. Two, Bhagavan is inclusive of and superior to the Brahman and Paramatma manifestations. Bhagavan here means the original complete form, the basis of all other forms, which will be completely unpacked in the next Sandarbha, the Krishna Sandarbha. Um, Jignasa means meditation on Bhagavan. Meditation implies that Bhagavan has a form. Meditation also signifies that Bhagavan's form is exquisitely beautiful. The plural number in Dimahi denies the Vivartavad of Sankaracharya that accepts only one conscious being. Again, Vivartavad means it's all Brahman. When it says it's all Brahman, that means there ain't nothing outside of it. There's only one it. And if you think there's more than one it, that's Vivartavad. You accept the theory of illusion. Their theory is it's all an illusion except for the it or Brahman. So that's basically Vivartavad. One conscious being. The plural in Dimahi implies that bhakti is a universal process. Ten, any other process without bhakti is futile, as shown by Brahma's verse and by Krishna's admonition that it's difficult. It's really hard. And 11, the object of meditation is Bhagavan, not Shiva or Brahma. So this verse, Atato Brahma Jignasa. So we're going to meditate, Jignasa being equal to Dimahi, on Brahman. So what about Atata? Atato Brahma Jignasa is the first verse. So what about that? What does that refer to? It's a lot. <laughs> Jiva Goswami is now going to explain those that first word, tato, which is a compound of two words, and he explains as follows. Study of Pura Mimamsa leads to inquiry into Brahman. Pura Mimamsa. Jiva says, now the word Ata and Ataha. Now, therefore, with which the Brahma Sutra begins are explained here. So the words Ata and Ataha. So Ato, Atato, 
Tato Brahma Jignasa, when they come together, are explained here in the first verse of the Bhagavatam by the word Satyam. So now again, he's drawn a parallel between Atato and Satyam. In this word pairing, Ata is used in the sense of immediate sequence or succession. And the word Ataha indicates the cause of the relation to the preceding topic. Atato Brahma Jignasa. So the word Ata here means after the attainment of complete knowledge of karma by deliberation on the Purva Mimamsa. Now this explanation of the first verse of the Brahma Sutra, the Vedanta Sutra, is is pretty consistent. The one that Jiva is giving here in his Sandarbha is consistent with the commentaries of most everyone else. All the other Vaishnavas give this same explanation of this one word, Atato. Tato Brahma Jignasa. Common knowledge. So we're going to learn the common explanation. So now Jiva is explaining, well, what are those topics? They're commonly known topics. Before you enter into Brahma Jignasa, generally you learn Karma Jignasa. So generally there's the Purva Mimamsa learning. <coughs> And the Uttara Mimamsa, what becomes what comes before and what comes after. So this is again for us it's a it's it's entering into a, a different a different explanation that is applicable to a culture. The Indian culture is first you learn karma mim, karma mimamsa, the Purva Mimamsa. Purva Mimamsa, Karma Kanda, meaning, how do I go to heaven? How do I get a son, a daughter? How do I get a, you know, a good wife and have fine children? And how do I conduct affairs so I come up on, on top? So that's learned first. So we hear all that, and we hear that through the right ear. All this is going to come out, so we'll just let Jiva explain it. So he, now... Remember, this is all being equated to the word satyam in the Bhagavatam verse. So, the word atta here means after the attainment of complete knowledge of karma by deliberation on the purva mimamsa. So the purva, purva means what comes before, mimamsa, and that's karma. We learn about karma. We learn how to conduct ourselves in the world. And that should result in something. And Jiva's going to bring that out. Such knowledge of moral obligation comes first in the sequence of study of the karma kanda. The word atta then means that next in the sequence, after completing the study of karma kanda, we come to the brahma kanda as the subject of study. Jiva will now explain all that. In this regard, Causality of relation to the preceding topic as indicated by the word atta 
is shown first of all because it is by deliberation on the Uttaraka Vimamsa, i.e. the Brahma Sutras, that the proper meaning of all that was studied before in Karma Kanda can be ascertained. Secondly, because there is some concomitant result available, and thirdly, because there are some statements in the Karmakanda which impel one to study the Brahmakanda. These three factors are described below. So we learn first how to, how to be of good character and how to win, <laughs> win in the, in the struggle with material existence, how to conduct ourselves, how to be uh, righteous and uh, how to avoid uh, avoid the pitfalls of material existence and win. Basically, that's karma. Karma kanda is all about performing kanda karma perfectly, and there's a lot of good result in that. Pull it off for a hundred births, and you got an, you can you can manage a, uni, a universe. You can be a Brahma. And secondly, Jeeva is showing that generally when you study the Karmakanda to attain all that you would want from life, then in the Karmakanda there's some hints. Well, really it's not as good as we're making you think it is. So there's hints at the Brahma, Jignasa. There's some hints of inquiring into something that's more. In the, just by studying Karmakanda, that's, that's really the way it works. So the later, the Uttara Mimamsa is hinted at. You should there's more to study. The meaning of Atta-Attaha is certainly after the study and practice of Purva Mimamsa as determined from the following reasoning, because the Purva Mimamsa is the oppositional principle, it is certainly necessary to have knowledge of it in the study of Uttara Mimamsa, which is the concluding and subsequent work. It's necessary to have knowledge of the Karma Mimamsa, the path of karma, in order to move on to study the path of Brahman realization, the path of spiritual inquiry. Why is that? Well, you need to have a frame of reference. What do we call a frame of reference in the logic? Purvapaksha. So it's a lot easier to understand spiritual matters when you and, and have arguments against karmakanda to say that material life is is not really the most beneficial for the living entity in the human form of life. It's not the most beneficial, so you need a frame of reference. So if you've studied the karma of a mamsa, you know all that you can get from good karma. You know you can get the children, the wealth, you can have a long life, you can go to heaven, swarga afterwards, and you can, you can have everything you want by performing this karma mamamsa and doing the sacrifices and the austerities and 
making sure that if you've committed a sinful activity, you do the proper atonement so that it doesn't get in the way of your material attainments that you've set your mind on. So all this is given in the Karma Kanda section. So the Purva Mimamsa. And then you go on to the Atara Mimamsa, Brahma Jignasa. You go on to that and you have a frame of reference. So generally you learn about the karma first. And then with that frame of reference, you can look back on that and say you can look at it as in any logical proposition. You have a porvapaksa. You have the opponent's viewpoint. So you have the karmi's viewpoint and you have the devotee's viewpoint in our case. So you have a good frame of reference. So you can say, well, really, I understand you like to be a karmi, but let me tell you, there's some pitfalls. And let me tell you, on the path of devotion, we can avoid those pitfalls. You can actually dissolve your karma. Now, how how's that sound? No bad reactions at all. And no good reactions. Wait, I like the no bad reactions, but I want to have the good reactions. Well, actually, the good reactions are as not as good as you think they are. They're temporary. Go to heaven, enjoy as much as you want, but chances are, well, no chances. You definitely will fall down from there eventually, either sooner or later. Sooner, if you offend somebody that's up there, because these guys, everybody up there has some real power, some real tages. You can leave quickly or you you may leave later, but leave you will. That's the nature of the heavenly atmosphere. The whole material world, samsara, is, is going up and coming down. So generally, the purva is determined to be helpful because in some of its parts, they are unopposed to the Uttara Mimamsa. So some parts of the Purva Mimamsa or the Karmakanda, those are synonymous. There are hints. There are parts where the Uttara Mimamsa is not opposed. It's not like the Karma Mimamsa is just saying, uh, karma is all there is. No, there's some other things and, and there's hints. Additionally, karma, prescribed action, is instrumental in the purification of the heart characterized by the development of qualities such as peacefulness. So it's not that we just throw the karma mamsa out entirely even if we're striving for uttara mamsa, the higher goal, or later. Uttara means later in this context. A tato, before and after, sequentially. So these words, a ta and a taha. So you become peaceful just by performing the karma. You you do. There's some sense control involved. You just don't do what you want, when you want, how you want. You do what the karma, the mamsa path says. The Purvamamamsa, when they say to do it, how they say to do it, and you get the result from that action. So, karma is, of course, there's karma where you just 
throw out the baby, the bathwater, and everything, and do just do what you want. But civilized human society doesn't take that path. Animal human society lives on that path. Unfortunately, we're in Kali Yuga, and that's the path of human society. So we're looking back here to something that's being presented by Jiva Goswami in Kali Yuga. But still, he's in a culture where this is what generally happens. The student is brought in to the Gurukula, and he learns these two paths. And based on his character, the guru can say, yeah, Tara, just a little bit. He's, just, he's, he's already set. You know, he's, he judges. And then and there's some that are like, these are, this boy's a Brahmin. This boy will inquire into the spiritual. He has little to any interest in what I've taught him in the Purva Mimamsa. It kind of, he, he was just like not interested. But the second those little areas in there talked about inquiring, self-realization, spirituality, he immediately perked up. So now I can I can now speak to that to the to the higher, the Tara Mimamsa with that student. Jiva Goswami continues. In support of this conclusion we find the following statement. Just as in this world the body, which is a result of karma, comes to an end, so also in the next world the pleasures attained through piety come to an end. Those who depart from this world after realizing the self and the true intentionality of the self can travel to all planets at their will. That's from the Chantogya Upanishad. So he's supporting all that he's just said with a few, a few gems from the Shastra. He goes on to say, he does not return again, talking of the Atara Mamsa path. Um, a quote, another quote from the Shruti. He becomes eligible for liberation. And again, uh, Mundaka Upanishad, a person free from attachments attains sameness of nature with the Supreme Absolute. And then he quotes from the Gita. Those who have attained qualities like mine by resorting to this knowledge are not born again at the time of creation, nor are they distressed at the time of dissolution. We'll finish with this last nugget of knowledge coming from Ramanujacharya's commentary on the first verse of the Vedanta Sutra. Jiva quotes as follows. Both of these paths, he first writes, both of these paths, Karmakanda and Brahmakanda, have been described in Sri Ramanujacharya's commentary on the Brahma Sutra 111. And then he quotes, It is understood from the scripture that the result of karma, which is learned from the prior division of Mimamsa, is petty and temporary. So this is the beginning this is how Ramanujacharya starts out in his commentary on the, the Brahma Sutra. While the result of the knowledge of Brahman conclusively dealt with in the subsequent division, Uttaramamsa, is unlimited and imperishable. Therefore, immediately after acquiring knowledge of karma, 
from the prior instruction, Brahman is to be known. This is stated by Bhagavan Budayana, the earliest commentary on the sutras. And then he, then he has a sub-quote. So Ramanuja quotes from Budayana, who is quoting on this first sutra, of the Vedanta Sutra, after acquaintance with karma from Purva Mimamsa, one desires to know Brahman. Thank you very much.